Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. Although insane asylums were built with the intention of protecting, treating and supporting people suffering from mental illness, in the late 1800s terrible practices were used on the patients housed in such institutions that, by today's standards, would be looked upon as simply barbaric. Many asylums used treatment practices such as restraints and chains, ice baths, electric shock therapy and forced drugging, just to name a few. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was specifically designed to change this, using what was called moral management, which relied on kindness and compassion and making the patient's environments comfortable and more homely. This was great, in theory but not in practice, as this asylum became overcrowded and understaffed, creating a place of fear, neglect, and the inability to give those within its walls the simplest of decent care. The Trans-Allegheny Asylum is still one of the most haunted buildings in the USA. No wonder, really, how could anyone survive such conditions? Even the sanest of individuals would eventually lose their mind here. Who are the souls that remain? What is it that they want, or are they just simply lost? Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we take a look inside the most haunted Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum – Now, an important note before we start, the material we talk about is graphic and can be very emotional for some people. If the topic of mental health and how it was historically treated upsets you, we suggest you listen using your discretion. If it raises anything that may be triggering for you, reach out to family and friends for reinsurance and comfort. Times have changed, thank goodness, and in most cases and countries around the world, we do do better. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. 
between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome back to the studio, Anne. Hello, Renata. <laughs> oh, it got me. It did. It got me. It got Although you. I never tested positive, I definitely had all of the symptoms, but mm-hmm. it was very mild. Mm-hmm. Very, very mild. Like I'm, I'm back on my feet really within within two days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're really at the other end. You're just snotty right now. Yeah, I'm just my, my asthma's kicking in a bit, and uh, yeah, it's trying to get down on my chest as. Most good things do. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm getting stuck into all the Ventolin and all that sort of stuff to to clear it off. But I feel really good. That's good. I know, right? I That's just wish I could get out and misbehave. I've been banned from going to Maitland Jail tour tonight. Yes, you have. They and won't let me go. That's because we are at Gloucester tomorrow, the beautiful Gloucester. Yeah. Uh, and we are going into the National Forest, which in itself is like a deep dive into... Uh, this nurturing, positive, uh, healthy, healing, healing environment, um, which, you know, you're going to come out of feeling 150% better. I'm going to hu- go hug a tree. Hug a tree. Yes, with, girlfriend. With glow worms on it. Mm. <laughs> Ew. 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 <laughs> I'll come back with that glowing snot on my jeans. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so I really... Uh, can't wait to get out there tomorrow. I mean, there was the concern as well. We do have some people who are our volunteers that we have to be mindful of uh, that they have health concerns. That's so, correct. Um, even though I'm feeling better, I'm at the end of it, I could have masked up, we just don't want to risk them. Uh, whereas by tomorrow, I am well and truly clear of that infectious period and uh, I, I'll still mask up when I'm in the indoor spaces. I don't want to upset anyone. Mm. Yes. Or snot on them. And uh, we have some great things coming up this week. Um, certainly we have our um, beautiful author's, author's talk and oh. tour. Well, it's not really an author's talk, is it? It's not of a, a, um, an experience. It the is. whole thing is a submerged, sub, sub, not subversion, subversion, <laughs> sub, submersion yes. into what? The hangings at Maitland Jail. So for all of you perverse people out there (laughs) that love all of the details, the grotty details about what happened at a hanging. And look, believe me, you're not alone. Um, (laughs) Let's put our hand up, Renata. The crowds crowds would fill um, prior to a haunting in – it's not a haunting, uh, a hanging in any of the places where a hanging occurred in Australia and literally all over the world um, for the uh, ability to watch and see the proceedings it was kind of it was one of those things where you go I, it's it's like oh it's like going to a sunday matinee movie really <laughs> it is but you know that you're not going through it you are just watching it so a little bit like watching our um, horror movies nowadays <laughs> when you sit on the couch and you know you're not there but it's you kind of think to yourself my goodness how, how terrifying this is is this i'm just glad it's not me yeah <laughs> Yeah, and the botched ones, wow, mm. when they got the weights wrong. 
Yes. So we have uh, our beautiful uh, guest for uh, the event, Dr. Rachel Franks, who has written a book called The Uncommon Hangman, and it's a story and uh, a life and times of Robert Nosy Bob or Howard. My book arrived yesterday. I'm mm. going to get it to sign up for me. Yes, yes. And uh, it's it's his story, and he was the hangman around the area um in the 1800s and he actually uh, did the final hanging at Maitland Jail of a gentleman called ja- uh, Charles Hines, if we can call him a gentleman yeah, at all. Yeah, not a gentleman at all. Not a gentleman at all. And um, we have uh, brought her here to tell us a little bit more about all of this. And in the interim, Maitland Jail has created a brand new tour yep. uh, all about the hangings that happened at the jail. They'll be they'll be taking everyone on that. And Anne and Renata have created a whole new tour. Yes. <laughs> on the uh, paranormal investigation based on the people who were hanged at Maitland Jail. Yes. So we're going to take people to all of those areas within the jail where it all happened. It all unfolded. And we're going to do a deep dive to see whether we can get some intelligent responses from those unfortunate souls that met their maker at ha- at Maitland Jail. It's mm. going to be really exciting. It is. I like something new. Yes. And uh, other than that, we've we've had some interesting changes come about to our radio show that we are going to be, we are continuing to do Spooky Sunday. So if you haven't listened yet, we are live. What are you doing Spooky Sundays? Get yes, on there. We are live every Sunday night, uh, Sydney time, Sydney Australia time, eight pm. But if you do miss it, uh, you can actually get it on a podcast on Spotify. <laughs> So Spotify and iTunes, just look for Spooky Sundays. It is, it's kind of iTunes Anne and, and Spotify, everything that you listen to, I think. Yeah, uh, um, it's like Anne and Renata Uncensored. <laughs> it is, which is really, <laughs> it's really weird when you think about that, how naughty we are here. It's worse. It's, it's worse. So if you enjoy our humour, that's the one to go to. The one that we're more sensible on is Diary of a Ghost Hunter. Yes. Although I did notice last episode, the naughtiness, naughtiness did start to creep in a little. <laughs> yeah, we were on it. We want a very tight time schedule oh, there. Always. <laughs> well, is it not a tight timeline <laughs> schedule? Yeah. So, um, look, you guys have got plenty of opportunity to get more of us. Oh, and that's what you want, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. <laughs> but we have this fabulous story tonight about um, an insane asylum. Oh, no, that, I, that's look, not that's our a bad, word. Yeah, that's that, a really bad that's statement. That's a, a to make. historical term. Now, if anyone is upset with us calling that, it was historically called the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So please note we are referring to this in a historical sense, not what we think it was. And those words had very different connotations um, in the 1800s. And, of course, that depends on people that you speak to. But there was a reference made in one of the stories that I read about it being something that um, made people feel secure. What? I I know. It's really weird to say that about the word lunatic. But, yeah, yeah. it, it was just this classification that was used. And the, all of this was painted with a really broad brush, brush in those days. You or did, a broad you, butt, whatever. You, you we did, got both. You didn't have the, the, the book, the diagnostic book that, you know, pulls everything apart into a thousand different pieces and you can surely find yourself somewhere in it because we all can. <laughs> um, and it was either you were either um, – 
you had two classifications back then and you either fitted into one or the other and kind of that was it. Uh, And yes, please listen because when you find out why some people were placed into asylums, you will just lose your crap. So let's get on with the story. All right, but before we go any further, do you think that we would have been put in asylums? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I would have been there. We would have been a long time. Residents. I would have been there since I was probably about five. Yep. Yep. All right. So this this is a big one, but Renata has said I should go for it. Yes. Um, it was just too good to uh, pare down. Yeah. I happened to be passing through the town of Weston with my mum and her sister on the way home from Virginia, and so we decided a ghost tour would be a fine way to break up that eight-hour drive. It was a sunny, pleasant July day. I'll never forget how positively idyllic the weather was. I don't claim to be a psychic or sensitive by any means, but this place has the weirdest vibe as soon as you walk in. I attributed it to the juxtaposition of electronic kiosks, where you sign and promise not to sue if you fall through the floor, a pleasant little gift shop and a dark corridor leading to an ancient and downright foreboding stairwell. We signed our lives away and were promptly taken on a ghost tour with perhaps 12 visitors. Ghost tours are always funny things. You can spot the people who have watched one too many episodes of Ghost Adventures, the ones who are just looking for something to do on a Saturday afternoon, and the ones who are begrudgingly accompanying their sensitive girlfriend who's looking to make a connection. We had just finished learning about the recovery ward when it hit me coming on me like a freight train. I was perfectly fine listening to the tour guide when suddenly the air was sucked from my lungs like some unseen force socked it to me with totally unwarranted gusto. My vision clouded, my face flushed. In a matter of seconds I went from feeling totally fine to feeling like I was going to pass out right then and there. I asked if I could sit for a moment my voice much weaker and more timid than I wanted it to sound. Great, I thought on some distant level of my brain that was swiftly shutting down. I'm going to look like a total wimp in front of all these people. But I didn't care. I didn't care as I sat on the filthy ground surrounded by chips of paint and dusted debris. Later, I would recognise that this fact showed just how affected I was. Under normal circumstances, I practically take hand sanitizer intravenously, and here I was flopped over in ancient filth. The tour guide continued to speak, miles away from me it seemed, and when he finished, he asked if I could walk. I couldn't. I did not want to move ever again and wanted to be as far away from that room as possible. All I could do was give a meek chirp of, no. Any embarrassment was long gone. I didn't even feel like myself at that moment. Here I was in some strange limbo with my mother and sister and the tour guide looking pathetically in my direction. The guide told me he'd be happy to call someone from the front desk to retrieve me and if I felt better I could meet up with the group again when they moved to another part of the building. With a weak little mew, I agreed. Now, 
At the time, I wasn't really thinking about anything. My mind was totally foggy. I'm thinking about the ghost that supposedly invades guests' personal space or the timid little girl. I was stuck in a sort of purgatory, a liminal space. I certainly couldn't have put into words at the time, but in retrospect, that's what it was. It was as though there were some strange black veil between me and the other group. Well, a nice lady came and took me back towards the grand foyer of the building. I must take this opportunity to say that the staff at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum today are top-notch. They are unbelievably kind and accommodating to this girl who was flopping around sadly on the floor. But the very moment I left the recovery ward, I felt fine. No, not just a little better. I mean 100% ready to finish the tour. I felt utterly peachy keen. My sensible thoughts returned to me and I scolded myself internally. I could hop right back on the tour right now if I wanted. But this lady had come all this way to fetch me and promised me a bottle of water and a nice place to sit. And perhaps that's all I needed. So I followed her back, all the while disappointed in myself for causing such a fuss. She gave me a bottle of water and had me sit in one of the large rocking chairs lined up in front of the building. Think old southern porch on steroids. There was a battalion of huge rockers greeting visitors at the door, and one of them was now occupied by a very embarrassed tourist who still couldn't quite wrap her mind around what had just happened moments before. Excuse me. I looked up to see an older man at the building in historical attire. Yes, I asked, my voice full of strength again. He smiled. I'm sorry to bother you, but I was talking to one of the other tour guides over there, and I just wanted to tell you, you look so much like a lady we knew who used to work at the hospital back in the day, decades ago. We have photos of her in there, if you can spot her. I blinked. Oh, I said pleasantly, my overpolite Midwesterness kicking in. Isn't that something? How cool. Thank you for that. Annie wished me good day and shuffled away. I stared out upon the hospital green and finally my mind started to work. Did the fact that I was wearing vintage-style clothing, in addition to my physical similarities to an old nurse, attract a ghost to me? Was I just assaulted by a ghost? Very good. I I had already cut out a hell of a lot of that. But that was from Spells and Spirits Paranormal Anthology, Different People's Stories and Experiences Up Close and Personal. And this particular one was a visit to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum by Jennifer Rainey. It was Mm. fabulous. Awesome. Beautifully written and it was a great story. And there was more there, as Mm -hmm. I said, but I'd already, um, it was already very long. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and I apologise for the coughing that you hear every now and then. It's just, it's just how it is. As you, you're getting over this nasty coffee cold word, Macona. Mm. Macona. That's right. We called it Macona. <laughs> which which episode was that? That was Diary of a Ghost Hunter, wasn't it? Yes. Now, my, I am in charge of the history here, so oh, what yeah. you what you are going to be hearing are snippets from historical 
information that I've gathered through many, many websites as I was going through this, because I, I think it's it was really, impo- uh, really important to talk about how people were treated back then. And it was, I guess, what people knew to do or thought was the best thing. I don't know how they thought that these things were the best things, but you know, it was it was the sign of the times. But this is think, what it was like. If you think about it now, how uh, in in a hundred years' time, when we look back at how we've treated Makona, mm-hmm. um, they're going to look at those people who were injecting themselves with disinfectant and things like oh, that and go, yes. they're, they're absolutely nuts. Yes. Um, they may look at the fact that we shut down the whole world for two years mm-hmm. and go. How crazy was that? But we don't know that until we've tried it and look back. Yes. Yeah. So during colonial America, and of course the Trans-Alleghenies there, so we're looking at that country to talk about. And if we go back to the 1800s in colonial American times, the treatment of any insane person was really short of barbaric. It really was. So those that, that didn't have family or friends um, t- that could take responsibility for them, and I say responsibility very, very loosely, they were often just placed in prisons uh, where they were with people who had committed crimes. Yeah? And they were often chained to walls. They were left rarely to rot in there. So they were unclothed um, and dirty and unkept. And yeah, what else do you do with them? I guess that that was the thought from, you know, people who had well, that. Many that... times they weren't even looked on as humans, which yeah. is just horrific. Mm-hmm. Now, there were families that did take responsibility for some of their, let's say, problematic relatives. And often it was about avoiding embarrassment to um, let other people know that a member of the family was uh, in such a state or un- insane um, or mentally um, unwell. And, and you'd, you'd hear of stories of people um, being hidden away and, and people didn't even know that these people existed. They were walled up behind doors. Yes, and we we just have to go to the royal family. Yes. Right. And these people with, you know, great... Um, I read about the story of the Kennedys too. I just want to say this is Renata Daniel that is reporting this information. If there's going to be any marks put out, <laughs> it's on Renata Daniel. Thank you. Uh, and yes, there, there were stories of, of these these poor souls being stashed away in places like the attics, sheds out the back, uh, even holes in the ground. Yeah, what about Monty? Remember they had the the young lad yes. chained up and the, yes. there's still the hole in the wall where the chain rubbed? Yes. Yep. Wow. Uh, and it wasn't until around the 1770s that facilities began to be constructed specifically to house the insane. So, again, these places, they were really designed to take the individual uh, out of society and to hide them away somewhere. It wasn't about actually curing them. I don't think they knew what methods were going think to they, cure them. They don't think they could cure them. They yeah. didn't realise there were things you could do. Yeah. Um, yes. So the Trans-Allegheny Asylum was born into this era and it was supposed to change the way that people dealt with the insane forever after that. Yeah. So there was um, a, a gentleman, and I'll talk to, about him in a, a minute, who planned the whole thing out um, and, he, and he planned it in a way that was supposed to be 
a more gentler way to take care of these people. Now, it was once among the most expensive buildings in the United States. It was constructed um, from sandstone and it was handcrafted. It was hand-built sandstone. So it was wow, the, that's largest, huge. the largest building in America to be made this way. <laughs> It, and it was made by forced labour, so often incarcerated African-American labourers made it, and that's why it took so long. started in 1858 uh, and uh, kind of finished around 1881. Reason being was that the Civil War broke out and they had to stop the construction. They did get some more money in 1862 and it resumed construction, but it was the largest building of its type in America and the second largest in the world behind the Kremlin. Oh, my God. The Kremlin in Russia was the biggest handmade stone-crafted building in the world and the Trans-Allegheny was the second. Wow. Wowzers. But there was no other way to make those buildings then. It was was all... Yeah. When they say handmade, it's sort of like, well... Yeah, hand, hand like chiseled away yeah. and the, the whole thing with yeah instead whatever. of um bricks that were made and then created yes. right yes. okay they chiseled it out <clears> of they, the rocks of the ground they chiseled so it was renamed the west virginia hospital for the insane uh, by the new state government of west virginia in 1863 and it welcomed its first 20 patients in the autumn of 1864 now, it stood over 300 acres. This place is absolutely huge. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's the second largest hand-cut stone building in the world, just behind the Kremlin. Now, it was designed by a, a renowned architect, um, Richard Andrews. And we it's all, beautiful. We all know who he is. It's very gothic. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's very, um, it's very it's one of those buildings that takes your breath away as you sort of drive in the long drive. There is a really long drive to come in. Um, it's called Asylum Drive. Oh, it's no. <laughs> or it used to be. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been Lunatic Drive. Oh, um, and it followed the... Kirkbride Plan. Now, the Kirkbride Plan was a creation of a psychiatrist by the name of Kirkbride, mm-hmm. uh, and his thoughts were to make the patients feel at home, to hasten their recovery. So it was about uh, the area being quite therapeutic. The main walk in to or the sort of, you know, how you walk in to like a hotel and there's this grand space when you walk in. It was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. You didn't sort of see a lot of the asylum aspect at that point. Um, and you, every patient was to have their own room. The doors were situated so they were like these bat wings that kind of came out to take the sunshine so that when doors opened, the, the room flooded with sunlight, fresh air. It was supposed to be very, very home. Um, unassuming, all of this sort of stuff, um, and yes, it sounds wonderful. Yes, yes, a great place to try and help people heal or leave their lead their best lives. Yes, yes, actually, yes, very much so. And look, there were gardens there, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go on. So the original hospital was designed to house two hundred and fifty souls. Uh, but at its peak in 1950, it had 2,400. That's 
that's almost well, it's that's literally ten, ten, ten times. times. So where they had one person per room, yep. they now had ten. Yes, ten times the that's, amount of people. Now that is insane. Yes, and that an absolute reason for that happening as well. I'm sure there is, but is it a good one? No. No, uh, and of course it it closed around 1994. So let, and that, let's and let's you think back. of that 1994. It closed in 1994. Oh, wait till I tell you when lobotomy stopped happening. Okay, I go just, for it. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. All right, you go for it, girlfriend. So the Kirkbride plan and the moral management system, which is what um, this psychiatrist bloke came up with, uh, was a system of caring for inmates that was supposed to ensure that each person committed would have. Uh, modern therapies that were available to them. All right, then they were at that point. There were things like occupational therapy, medication, hydrotherapy, and even hypnotherapy. Sounds great. That's so um, forward thinking. Forward thinking. Progressive. Really, really forward thinking. And they thought that the older methods, like chaining them up in basements, uh, would be abolished. In Yay. this, it was not going to happen here. We Yay. are not doing that. That we are not having straitjackets. We are not. Having having strong rooms. No, we only do that if a patient was going to be harmful to themselves or other people. Other than that, it was clean air, baths, simple food, healthy activities. Love it. Um, and at those beginning years, in those beginning years, the cure rates were terrific. There you go. They were terrific. Proof is in the pudding. But by the end of the 19th century... Here we go. The hospitals were overwhelmed with people. The stays grew longer. The treatments started to look like they were really ineffective and often conditions worsened and people were sent back into the hospital. Now, uh, there was a copy of an 1890 New York state law that came out, and everyone knew about it, that made the state wholly responsible for the care of people with serious mental illness. Let me guess, passing the buck. Yes, so patients then kept flooding in. Oh, this person doesn't look well. Let's send them to the asylum. Let's let's rid ourselves of this problem that we have at home. Okay, so what do you mean problem? Mm. Let me get there. Okay. So the doctors tried dangerous new drugs and treatment just simply because they could only do what they could do with the number of patients that were flooding in. They did not have time to spend um, with patients. So to begin with, I believe, uh, look, I read somewhere that like one doctor had about six patients to deal with or a nurse had six patients to deal with. And then oh, I've there was one point I'm pretty sure where I read somewhere that one one doctor had like some some bizarre number of people that no way on God's earth they could see or deal with, like hundreds of people that were under their care. One what? doctor, uh, and so Sounds like yes, our Medicare system now. <laughs> just handing out drugs was the only thing to do. Yeah, yeah so but they were just they, they were you, neglected. Things in the the aged care system. They're struggling as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's so easy to medicate than, mm-hmm. than help or fix only because they're so short-staffed and so underpaid. Yep. They've got no alternative. 
So this all started to really go under when literally the uh, amount of and patients... And I don't agree with that, by the way, sorry. Yeah, where the amount of patients in the hospital literally doubled. So it went from 250 to 500, and that's where it started to go awry. Now, there was a, a website called allthatsinteresting.com where I got the next bit of information from, and it said that patients were crammed together with four or five in one small room that should have only fitted one, as you mentioned before. By 1938, the asylum was six times over capacity. The patients were running wild and they were out of control. They hardly had anywhere to keep any more of the patients. The food supplies were running low and the conditions were declining rapidly. So let's just step back just for a minute. So when this whole building was built and it was huge, it was spacious. It was for um, those that really had you know, major mental issues to really come and have um, a space where they could chill, where they could really be treated. Um, but then there was a law that said, no, um, we're changing everything. Uh, we're trying to move these patients out of these homes um, where they could um, cause issues and problems and put them into a space where the state is now going to take care of them. Right. So this is when everyone started to go, well, OK, that and sounds really good. Did they give them the money to deal with that? No, absolutely not. Of course not. not. No. So intake diagnosis included... Hereditary, epilepsy, menstrual and masturbation. Are you done for that one, Renata? No, no. <laughs> some, item, some, some issues were medical, such as asthma, rabies and tuberculosis. Well, that's it. I'm down for asthma. But they were not mental illness. No. Right? But then we have um, vicious vices in early life, seduction, <gasps> egotism, Bad whiskey. Oh, a lot of people think we'd be in for egotism. Yep, mm. keep going. Indigestion. Oh, yeah, I'm done. Doubt about their mother's ancestors. Mm. Loss what? of arm. Loss of arm. What? Change of life. So menopause, we're done there as well. Menstrual derangement. <laughs> <laughs> that PMT. <laughs> Look, I can understand there's sometimes that we do need to put, be put away for that. <laughs> Just for a day or two and then it passes. <laughs> Childbirth, which would probably be PTSD now. Uh, disappointed love. Yeah, well, there's going to be a lot of that, isn't there? Death of sons in war. What? Yes, domestic trouble. So grief. Sorry. Laz yep, laziness. Yeah, I'll be there for that. Reading too many novels. Yeah, we'd be there for that. <laughs> well, not novels. We'd, we'd more on the uh, the fiction. Yeah, fits and desertion, desertion of husband. No, we're, we're very faithful, aren't we, Renata? Now, others were strangers still. Oh, God, really. Wives who were insubordinate to their husbands. Yep. Indigestion. Done, doubting done. one's ancestry, political and religious excitement. Oh, <laughs> the greenies are gone. Oh, oh, imagine all of those. Oh, Pauline Hanson, no, she'd the, be in there. The... Um, Oh, no, I'm going, I'm going so there. No, careful, yep. careful. Yep. And being kicked in the head by a horse. <laughs> oh, well, Nosy Bob would be in there. <laughs> oh I got kicked God. in the shin by a horse. Does that mean I'm in? Now, there is a thing, and I actually put it up on the True Hornings podcast um, Facebook page, a list of 100 things that um, you could have been put into an asylum for in the 1860s. So wow. this is crazy. It's, Remember we visited Tasmania down with Charmaine and uh, they were saying that some of the ladies in the, the, the women's building were in there for some of the most mm. strange things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you said no to your husband, you were 
put in there for being insane. Yes. I would have been put in there many times over. Mm-hmm. So a man couldn't meet his wife for any reason, and if he decided to never bring her home, if, say, he started a new relationship, she remained a ward of the state. Yeah, nah. Nah. Children <laughs> I'd of, be escaping that asylum and I'd be coming after him. Children often accompanied their mothers, and some children were born within the hospital walls and were raised there. And that's one of our ghosts. Mm-hmm. Other children were dropped off in front of the hospital as orphans. Oh, a big part there's another of, one. I would have been in there because I was an orphan. Yep. A big part of the orphan's history was written by people who should never have been there in the first place. Now, treatments. Oh, dear. Oh, we're not going here. No, no. It's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here. Oh, yes. Yes, guess what? So ice water baths. And these were... That's supposed to be a good thing these days. Yeah, but not when you're kept in there for days. Oh, no. Days. And they had this spray thing that was like needles uh, that like the water was so cold that it felt like needles so it was kind of like this shock therapy thing and to cause exhaustion and um yeah make them get break you yeah 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 now there was also bloodletting insulin coma therapy insulin does that mean you eat a lot of sugar oh i don't know i could be in for that um (laughs) Confinement cribs, confinement cages and electroshock therapy. Oh, no, I wouldn't be in for that. Mm. Now, in October 1935, residents of the institution set fire to the fourth floor of the building. Good on them. Completely destroying it. Another time, two patients tried to hang another resident with bedsheets. When that didn't work, they crushed his head with a metal bed frame, killing him. Yeah, I've got that story too. Yeah. And in yet another incident, a nurse went missing only to be found dead two months later at the bottom of an unused staircase. Wow, two months. Yes, this is how bad things went. And look, in amongst all of this, uh, like I've spent a few days reading all of this. This is really, really hard to do, this one. It's another one that sort of just brings up the tragedy of It traumatises you while you're researching it. Yeah, Um, where there were people who had good things to say, they felt that they were looked after. There was one fellow who talked about Thanksgiving giving being the best thing that had ever happened to him. The turkey that he ate was just magnificent. They had shows on um, for entertainment. Uh, they had things for the people to do. So there must have been periods of time when this place worked well or worked well for some people. Or they had a, a good supervisor that came in and and tried to make a difference but Mm. i suppose you've got to look at what what is their standard of good and amazing and wonderful compared to the outside world yes yes so just let me go on a little bit further go for it so there was another name change in the 1915 uh, period and it went to western state hospital because they believed that changing the name from hospital to asylum would make it better it would change things it didn't it didn't Uh, and within a couple of decades the patient population was more than 2000 at the peak 1950s and this this number varies so you can get 2016 2015 2013 but more or less around that 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 number now uh, according to the asylum's website there it says the patients were sleeping on the floor and in freezing rooms. There was no furniture, no heat. Windows were covered in grime and mould and the wallpaper was peeling and decaying and it was by that stage 10 times over capacity. 
Now, in amongst all of this, they started to do uh, things like electroconvulsive therapy and lobotomies. Now, don't be scared of ghosts. Be be scared of humans. Yep. Now, just get this. Allegedly, in the time that the asylum was working, they did over 4,000 lobotomies. 4,000. And lobotomies basically remove your personality I was reading oh they scramble your brains yeah, that's yeah, what they, they do they put it in your eye socket and um, scramble that part of the brain that is your identity and your personality so you become um, a zombie a zombie now originally the way lobotomies were done again I know this is very triggering but this is our history this happened everywhere they, oh, no. they would actually um, uh, mm-hmm. make holes in your head mm-hmm. they like with the screwdriver thingy ice pick no no that was later that was later that was oh, the improvement that was the upgrade right that okay. was the improvement first of all it was literally screwdriving holes in your brain and doing it that way uh, and then one particular doctor um, I think he's got his name some I've got his name somewhere um, would use the ice let's pick, not give, grace him by giving I, his name ice, out ice pick method so now uh, there was there is or was I think maybe was um, I found this in a Los Angeles Times newspaper and this was the these were words by Andrea Lamb who was a guide at the asylum and uh, this is what she says in 1872 if a married woman's husband had a mistress or if she had inherited money he could bring her here Lamb tells her guests he could sign her in and leave her until he decided to come back and get her or until she died whichever came first if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This was where they did the shock therapy and the lobotomies, Lamb says, as she launches into a story told to her by a woman who began her nursing career here in 1939. So you've got a young girl aged 18, she starts working at the asylum. It's her first nursing experience. Oh, wow. It was my second day of work. They asked me to take one of the male patients from the regular part of the hospital to the medical centre. Dr. Walter Freeman told her to wait. He just needed a few minutes with the patient. The young nurse had no idea that the doctor was the famous, some would say infamous, lobotomist who travelled around the country using an ice pick or similar tool to damage the brains of thousands of patients. She said she did not know she was going to take the man for a lobotomy, Lamb says. That bothered her for the rest of her life. She brought back the perfect patient. He would feed himself, dress himself and go to the bathroom by himself, but he would never have any emotions again. Yeah. Lamb concluded the chilling tale, noting that as late as 1980, what? there were still lobotomized patients on the wards at Weston. So they must have finished earlier, oh, but there the, were still... The, the results of the lobotomy, yeah. Yeah, were, were patients there in the 1980s. Does, doesn't that just do your head in? Yeah, I can't even think of anything to say about that. Now, throughout the 1900s, the Charleston Gazette published several reports exposing the terrible conditions at the uh, Trans-Allegheny. And this kind of brought about the... Th- idea that um, that information started to get out to the public. So all of this was hidden away. Of course, no one knew about it. No one didn't didn't want to know about it. They didn't care. Like, do whatever you want with these people. Just get them out of our hair. We don't care what you do. So uh, when these bits of information started to be published in the newspaper, all hell broke loose, obviously. Um, and, you know, it printed the asylum uh, information and said that it was like a hog pen and it smelled even worse. In 1985, the paper reported that the hospital was dirty and unkept. This is 1985. Yeah. And that the patients were naked. They were confined to dirty wards and bathrooms that were smeared with feces. So it was an expose that was published by the Gazette. And, of course, there was a movement to finally close down the hospital, which it did in 1994. But what do you expect when you don't give them money and you don't give them enough staff? How are they? Yep. Like, I know my son used to work uh, in uh, special needs care. And if somebody soiled themselves, they have to take them away, wash them down, get new, new clothes for them. That takes time. Yes. If they've got a hundred or more people that they're trying to care for on their shift. Yeah. How do they do it? Yep. Yep. The governments need to step up and they need to give money to places that need help to care for our our disadvantaged and um, helpless people. They really do. It just and I know this is historic, but it's still going on today in aged care. And like I'm a I'm big advocate on aged care because I worked in there for many years and I saw what the staff are trying to deal with, but I also saw some of the um 
the the culture within the workplace where they get very protective of their own little um, stash of stuff and they don't want to try anything new because they don't want to give up their resources. If mm. something works, they don't want to give up their resources. Yeah. And it's just the, oh, please, we need an overhaul. Help these helpless people. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Now, probably about eight years beforehand, uh, there was a governor, Governor Archmore, who really tried to look at building a new psychiatric facility somewhere else, and he wanted to transform the Trans Allegheny, which was called Western Hospital, into a prison. Now, there was a construction um, of a new hospital uh, that ended in 1994 and the building was named William R. Sharp Junior Hospital. But the old Western Hospital was not converted into a prison, just closed in 1994 after all of its patients were moved to the new hospital. Now, during the next decade, it was just left abandoned. The hospital fell into poor repair um, and even the main building had been declared a National Trust historic site in 1990 uh, before it closed, but nothing really happened. Now, in 2000, there was a committee that was created to assist in trying to maintain the building and finding tenants and investors. In 2004, there were three small museums that were opened on the ground floor of the hospital building. Uh, and uh, because of violations of fire safety rules, the museums had to close. In August 2007, Joe Jordan, who was a businessman and contractor from Morgantown, bought the hospital for $1.5 million at auction. And he began some restoration work. Uh, the new owners revived some of the original um, areas uh, and the name was brought back and it became an attraction, which meant that uh, a lot of the local people could get work. Yep. So it was opened up. Um, you could have history tours. You could have ghost tours. Uh, all of this stuff um, started to happen with the site. Um, and if you can imagine how huge the site is and the amount of people required to work it. Yep. And uh, maintain it. And maintain it. Um, it was a big boost back to the uh, local community yeah. and one of the things that they talked about as well which is again one of those sad things when you're trying to make improvements and you know that something is not, it shouldn't be working anymore but if you get rid of it what's it going to do to the local community and when the trans asylum closed people lost their jobs yep it would have um, looked after a whole town it would and this was one of the things that um, the township just could not get over. It never, never got back on its feet after the asylum closed. Um, and only when this guy came back in and started to sort of do... And, of course, they wouldn't employ anything like what was employed before, but at least employed a few people. Yeah. And that's kind of about where we're up to now. Okay. So I guess it's my turn. It's your turn. Okay. This is one of these difficult ones that you, as a paranormal investigator, the thought of going into an asylum to do an investigation makes me tingle with excitement. But it's also a place where people suffered. And if you're connecting with people, you are generally connecting with those people who um, their trauma has imprinted in the location or 
there is a memory of their their trauma or um, they no longer want to leave the place uh, and their um, intelligent mm-hmm. uh, mind or whatever it is is still left behind. But there are some people who also... It was their safe place. Mm-hmm. They didn't cope with the outside world. And people say, why would they hang around here? And they say that to us about the jail all the time. Why would there be ghosts still at this horrible, horrible place? Because for many of them, outside of that horrible place was even more terrifying than in that place. Yeah. And they had rules. They had rules and regulations yep. that they had to live by. And in many cases um, in the outside world, there were no rules per se. Yeah. Uh, no one gave them the time to give them rules. No. Nobody had time to do anything but just try and survive it. But I did have a great book called The Big Book of West Virginia Ghost Stories, which gave me a really good rundown of uh it's almost like a menu, you know, mm-hmm. how we like our menu of mm-hmm. hauntings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, they've got a, quite a good uh, few bits and pieces, but there are some particularly well-known ghosts and entities in there. I watched, um, is it Sam and Colby? Is that the name of those two young guys, the ghost hunters? And I said, Renata, you need to check them out. They're actually doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they reported on a lot of these entities, but... First off, the general haunting stuff that happens there, they've got the normal things like uh, whispering, disembodied voices, uh, yelling, screaming, uh, doors that are banging, uh, footsteps, uh, lights that will go on and off without anyone activating them, uh, things that are being moved. Uh, what else have we got there? Doors that are not locked. They're, they're just pushed shut but will not open. Mm-hmm. There's no logical reason why they will not open. Mm-hmm. And they've got doors that they try to lock that won't stay locked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've got your typical cold spots, um, oppressive atmospheres, dragging of sounds of furniture being dragged around the place, being touched, uh, apparitions, full and partial body apparitions, uh, smells such as perfume, tobacco, and uh, number ones and number twos. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the, one of the things it's really well known for is the shadow people. Lots of shadow people. They can be seen peeking out of uh, doors mm. and corridors and hallways. Uh, some of the voices that they do are very clear and some of them are very distant and and whispery, but they get some really clear ones like get off my bed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also another occasion where they heard a, a group of women that were discussing how to make apple butter. <laughs> was that awesome? Um, but another thing that they have there, and I saw this mentioned in the uh, the YouTube series, series I was watching, was they have... What they referred to as a doppelganger. Now, a doppelganger to me is somebody who appears to look identical to somebody else. And you look at them and you you ask them, what are you doing there? And they don't respond. They just look blank and walk off. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not what's happening. It's a mimic. It's they mimic the voices of uh, staff and things like that. And the the boys actually got a mimic. They thought that one of them uh, had called out to them. And I think they recorded it as well. And it wasn't him. 
Ah. You've got him on video. You can see him at that time where he's walking and he's not talking. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. So oh, that's a good one. That's really good. Look, you know, we'll get that to the end. <clears throat> so let's let's get on to some of the hauntings. Now, uh, I do have a little bit on a sceptical thing at the very end, but there were hauntings that were reported before the place shut down. Oh, my heavens. There goes the dog. So please forgive us for that uh, unruly disruption by the hounds of Cooks Hill. <laughs> uh, yes, that was a, a UPS, not UPS, what do you call it? Amazon delivery. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I'm sick as I buy stuff. <laughs> All right, so there were actually reports of the place being haunted before it shut down and became abandoned. Uh-huh. Uh, there, one. This is uh, referring to one of the tour guides that was working at the place, um, and she used to work at the the, the Trans Allegheny. And she said that it was one night she walked into a dormitory room after everyone else had gone to bed. She saw a rocking chair moving by itself. Mm. You know that those rocking mm. chairs ever they're, since they're evil. ever since Poltergeist with that blasted clown on it. Um, she thought maybe it was because of uneven floors. Good girl. She tried to debunk it, so she moved it. And it started to rock again on its own. She then moved it into the hallway, but it mysteriously returned to the dormitory later on. Oh, it, it came back on its own. It aborted. Oh, no. Do you, do you know what's happened? Somebody's walked out in the corridor and gone, why is this rocking chair out here? And I went and put it back. I reckon that's what it is. Um, so... There, I'm, I'm going to go through a few of the places because I know this is going to end up being a really long podcast. Uh, I don't want it to go too long. So there was the doctor's quarters. Now, the doctor's quarters were later turned into offices and um, off, off, office, office, not officers. My cold is making it sound like it's a police officer. Oh, offices. <laughs> offices. Yes, offices. Um, so they would often get the smell of cigar smoke in there and at one stage they actually had a mysterious handprint that appeared on one of the glass doors. Ah. Oh, I like a mysterious handprint. Uh, now, the the tour guide also had an encounter with a shadow person in there. They said that... now. <laughs> If they're able to describe what they were wearing, I don't think they're a shadow person. They were dressed in nurse's costume, a long dress and cap, and was with another room. Oh, no, she was dressed. Oh, sorry. She was dressed in the nurse's uniform. So she could have been like an irrecue, a, a trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she was with another employee, and then they noticed a shadow moving along the wall as they walked. Now, we actually had this happen at the residence. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, they thought it was their own shadow. Um it had a strange-looking hat on its head, though, and realised it definitely wasn't them because none of them had hats on that looked like that. But whatever this shadow person was seemed to be mimicking the movements that they were making. Uh, it moved when she moved, stopped when they stopped. Um, they weren't particularly frightened. They actually tried to communicate, which mm-hmm. I think is brilliant. But it just suddenly vanished. <sighs> now, third floor. That sounds just so creepy. Yeah, the third floor, there was an old chapel turned into an auditorium. Now, um, I don't know how this happened, whether it was with a spirit box or whether it was mind-to-mind communication, but a spirit instructed this particular person to take a Bible up to the third floor. And while she was trying to take this said Bible up onto the third floor, something shoved her. It, it pushed her. So she persevered and she got up to the the old chapel and the spirit has then told her to read Matthew 10, 11. 
Now, I should look that up, Renata, while we're while I'm finishing this off. Look up what Matthew ten eleven is, because I'd like to know what it is. Um, while she was doing so, a loud noise started to arise, and then it just gradually died down. So there was, she's thinking that somebody wanted her to read it. Uh, and maybe it gave them some sort of peace. Maybe it was was it something that was demonic that was upset by the Bible being read, or was it something that was um, excited by the fact that they'd got their message across to them, and they they actually had given them that little bit of peace. Okay, let me tell you what Matthew ten eleven is. Right. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till you go thence. So otherwise, um, a more standardised uh, translation would be whatever town or village you enter, search for someone, some worthy person there and stay in his house until you leave. Interesting. So it's like find safety and stay there. Yeah. And find a worthy person. So was she a worthy person? Mm. Interesting, mm. very interesting. Interesting. They've actually seen faces looking out from the interior brick walls. Oh. So I don't know whether that's, that's pareidolia. pareidolia. Yeah, or if it was something like out of the movies where you see their faces start to push out. Mm. Um, so they've got upper floors there as well. Uh, some of these were turned into drug and alcohol quarters. contained patients that were undergoing the throes of withdrawal and detoxification. So you can imagine that would be quite horrific. Yeah. Now, this is where they have trouble with the doors. Two of the doors... Um, often will not open despite being unlocked. There is one stage where this particular tour guide heard a thumping on the door when she was leaning against it, as though somebody was sort of saying, let me out, let me out, and they Mm -hmm. objected to being locked in. Voices are often heard in the hallways, as though they're telling stories about what's going on in their daily lives there. Uh, And on the same floor is a recreational room where children were allowed to play with toys. That looks like a nice place to keep the kiddies with the the poor old people going through withdrawals. We don't want to scare anyone. So there's supposed to be a ghost of a little boy that plays with a ball there. Mm -hmm. Now, I noticed that one of the rooms in my research had toys everywhere. Now, there is another child spirit Mm -hmm. as well. But we have witnessed this phenomena at the residence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where on uh, it was at our first tour that we had there. You came in contact with a child spirit called Billy. Yep. Now, was it you that came up with the name or was it? Uh, No, it uh, the the spirit told us that his name was Billy. How? Um. Was it Spirit Talker? Yes, Spirit Talker. Right, okay. So it wasn't Portal or no. Spirit Box. Or anything. Not there's neither here nor there. Just wondering how. And um, then we got the message that they wanted a red fire engine. Yes. So Mike brought in a red fire engine yes. for him, a little, uh, what they call Matchbox toy. Yes. And now... It's exploded. It's exploded. We've <laughs> it's got, got a shrine. So to, we've got a shrine to Billy down yeah. there. Poor old Mike walked in the other day and had a fit. He didn't know what was going on. There's like a balloons with dinosaurs. Yeah. And that's really blown my mind how quickly that has grown. Yes. What are we up to? Our fourth tour? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think people might be bringing toys in for the kiddies here mm-hmm. as well. Now, there was uh, a Ward F, which was originally the female ward, um, which later on became male lobotomy and seclusion patients uh, who had exhibited violent behaviour. So, 
Yeah, if you exhibited violent behaviour, guess what you got? Mm. So, unsurprisingly, this water's full of shadow, shadow people. I wonder, is that the shard of their soul that was removed through lobotomy? I've got goosebumps. Mm. That just popped into my mind. Mm. That's interesting. They've split the soul and left yep. that shard there. Yeah. And that's what, oh, tell me what you think, everyone. Send us um, a message on Facebook or uh, Instagram or wherever it is you follow us and let us know what you think of that. Was that why there is so many shadow people there? Uh, that people also know that it's a, an impressive atmosphere and that they hear a lot of footsteps. Now, this is where... They had one of the male patients violently attack an elderly man who simply said, how are you? Wow. And the the said patient karate chopped the old man, crushed his windpipe, killing him. Mm. This is what happens when you end up with people who are quite mentally sound being put in with violent, uncontrollable mm-hmm. uh, urges from people who can't stop what they're doing. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, there was also another room that was a recreation room where a woman patient shoved another one out of the window. But luckily for her, um, there was a balcony below. So it actually broke her fall. She only broke her ankles instead of dying. Not that there is a um, spirit attached to that, but it's just another one of the horrors that have um, embedded itself mm-hmm. into this location, which I will come back to. Now, there was a dormitory room because at that stage they, they couldn't put people per room. They would take some of the bigger rooms and they would outfit it with beds. So there was one uh, patient who became annoyed with another patient who snored. They gathered up several of the others. Now, people, again, warning triggers on all of this, please. Uh, they gathered up several of the other patients. They strung bed sheets together over pipe and hanged the snorer to try and get him to stop. Yeah. Uh, they took him down. He was still alive. Uh, but then they decided that they would end the snoring by placing a bed leg on top of the man's head and jumping up and down on the bed until the man died. Yeah. Now, the the patients told the staff that he was killed by ghosts mm-hmm. uh, well yeah yeah ghosts ghosts are a man-made in their own minds yeah uh none of the other patients who had witnessed what had happened would speak up because they're all terrified it would happen to them mm. so um yeah then they the staff finally worked out what had happened uh, and this was an interesting one I wanted to report on because uh, this has happened to us at Maitland Jail and Jody found it. There was, um, they opened up one of the halls one day and found wet human footprints along the length of the hallway. One p- footprint was large like an adult's and one was small like a child's. Yes, that's happened at Maitland yes. Jail. And it's, this is the intriguing part. The footsteps stop at a chair as if they've sat down. Oh. And those footprints remain for several days and they do reappear occasionally on damp days. Mm. Oh, the, a funny one about a male guide. Uh, he felt breath on his neck during an investigation night. Uh, he thought it was somebody playing on a trick on him, so he just turned around and told him to bugger off. And uh, then he heard a disembodied voice saying, Get out! Get out now! <laughs> so apparently he then took those words to heart and ran, jumped his car, rolled the windows down, shouted as he was going, I am leaving and I am never coming back. <laughs> I don't blame him. Oh, oh dear. 
Right. Um, I'm probably going to have to skip some of these ones, but there is a, uh, an important one, and that is in Ward R on the fourth floor, there is a ghost of a little girl that is named Lily. Mm. Yes. Now, I've, I've got a few reports here that I've sort of condensed together. I've got thoughtcatalog.com, Jeremy London as well. Uh, she is supposedly around about the age of nine. It's believed that Lily's mother gave birth to her while she was at the asylum and that Lily died at the age of nine after spending every day of her life within those walls. She didn't know anything different. Mm. So she said to talk and to chat and to roll balls along the floor. They love the flashlight experiment here at Mm -hmm. the... Trans-Allegheny. That's where you kind of just undo the yeah. flashlight a little bit. Yeah, and so you wait till it, it cools down and then it turns on and then it turns off. And if uh-huh. you count properly, you can actually time it to your questions. Oh, sorry. Was that my outside voice? Um, anyway, so she plays with the flashlights. There's a music box there she likes to play with. She's often heard giggling. Uh, and the people who have interacted with her seem to think that she's incredibly sweet, yet horrifying at the one time. So there are some people that seem to think that this entity is demonic. She's a nine-year-old little girl. And that it's taking the form of a nine-year-old girl to suck you in. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I get you. No. Mm. <laughs> now, there's a grouchy named uh, ghost called Jack who likes to hang around the kitchen. He used to, used to be a wo- uh, work. He used to be a cook there um, and was a patient. Now, he is very fond of women. Uh, he does like the flashlight divination, as they like to call it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> um, and if he thinks you're pretty, he will turn the light on on the flashlight. Oh, mine had never come on then. No, I don't think we'd get that light turning on. <laughs> Although, if it was my husband's ghost, he would turn that light on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was one of the, the um, rooms in the, the YouTube thing I watched where they said um, they melt flashlights. Oh, I'd like to see that. Oh, yes. Didn't see that. Um, also, uh, the, apparently Jack also has a male ghost friend with him uh, who is a little person. Uh, Jack looks out for his little friend uh, and does not take kindly to anyone who makes fun of him. Jack is also very fond of children, children offering them milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he does that. Mm. Mm. There is a morgue. On the outside. Now, apparently the patients, if they saw um, a hearse pulling up and bodies being taken in, that used to get really upset and it would agitate everyone. Mm. So they realized Mm. they had to move the morgue um, entrance to the back. Uh, And now that's created a bit of uh, a residual haunting there with shadow people and apparitions seen moving about in the autopsy room and the rooms containing the body racks, uh, which displayed the, the coffins. So... Uh, they say it's a very unpleasant energy in there. Mm. Yes. Which I can imagine, yeah. Even the greenhouse is haunted. Oh, all right. Mm, well, some, some people may have spent their most beautiful hours in there. Not this particular lady. Oh, no? Okay. okay. There is a true story attached to this. There was a female patient who was about to be discharged. She did not want to be discharged. Now, remember we said that some people found mm. this place their refuge. Mm-hmm. She set herself on fire and caused the greenhouse to burn. Oh, no. And there is the phantom sounds of people pounding on windows and crying out that can be heard day and night yeah. as they tried to get to her. Yeah. Well, that's that's the ultimate. I'm not going. I'm yeah. not leaving here. 
But I've got a, a little bit of a report here of some of the paranormal activity. Um, which report did that one come from? I've got so many. This is from thoughtcatalog.com. Uh, workers would often quit after hearing squeaky wheels rolling along the tiled hallway. Um, they see ghosts walking through walls. One doctor says a ghost followed her home and continues to haunt her. So this must be things that have happened during the while it's still working, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is going to... I'm going to refer back to this in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, some see a ball of light moving rapidly down hallways. There's On the first floor, there's supposed to be a ghost called Ruth who said she hates men um, when she was alive and used to throw things at them. Now in ghost form, Ruth is still throwing things at male visitors. Mm-hmm. I like Ruth. <laughs> I'd, I'd put out an arsenal for her and say, here, I love, go for it. Um, <laughs> they secreted a recording device and it, sound, it recorded the sound of someone saying, get out in Ward 2 where two patients had committed suicide and another one was stabbed to death. There oh, dear. The ghost of a man named Big Jim. Now, they did refer to this on Sam and Colby's uh, show. Uh, he's supposed to be quite violent. Um, there is also a nurse called... I hope I've got that right. There was one that was gentle and one that was violent. Sorry if I've uh, said the wrong one there, Big Jim. Uh, and there was a nurse named Elizabeth. Uh, there is also the Creeper. Now, we had the Creeper or something similar at another, uh, it was Waverly Hills, mm-hmm. I think it was. I wonder if this is some sort of residual effect of these locations mm-hmm. where it creates this type of energy. Hmm. There is a ghost of a soldier named Jacob that haunts the fourth floor. Hysterical laughter is heard coming from empty rooms. And the ghost of a murderer named Slewfoot, who had been slashed to death in a bathroom, is said to haunt the first floor. I have to admit that some of these stories sound like tour guide stories that have been created mm-hmm. to make it sound interesting. Now, I, I also just wanted to quickly report on the offerings that this location has. Now, you've got to remember, this is a massively big, big location. And it's heritage listed or what we would call heritage listed here, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So they have to somehow or other... Make money. Make money. So there are many people that are saying we shouldn't be making money from, you know, the stories of the horrible things that happened here. But how else are they supposed to maintain it? They don't have the money to turn it into, you know, flash. There's too much work to be done to. But but everyone wants to go to the site. Isn't that strange? They all want to go and see it. They all want to see the stories from it. They all want to see other people going there. But why should we pay you to do this? Yes. Why should these people be making money? You shouldn't be making money out of it. No. You should let us do it for free. Yes. So they've got like an eight-hour public ghost hunt i want to do that which no that's not the one i want to do which is a hundred dollars plus tax per person they have a ghost hunt in the medical forensics and geriatrics building oh i would take my ukulele in there and i would sing to them all we'd have a ball uh that is also um that's 9 p.m to 5 a.m and that's a hundred dollars this is the one i want to do renata Mm -hmm. but we need to win lotto (laughs) private ghost hunts yeah eight hours Cost is $150 per person, minimum of 10 people. So we would need to come up with $1,500 American dollars plus tax uh-huh. just for the two of us to go in there. Oh, Lord. 
That'd be so good. <laughs> I didn't want to do this place for a very long time. You did. You put it off. Yep. I kind of went, no, I don't. But no, even to go, if you asked me, do I want to go there? I said, Well, no. I haven't got to that part no. of the story no. yet. Back up. Um, so they have Halloween things. They've got haunted houses. They've got history tours. And we will all have our opinion on this and all our opinions are right to us. But these people do need to make money. Um, I just hope whatever they do is done tastefully. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I hope because I know when we go and investigation, investigate locations like this, we are very mindful and we don't go running around saying, you know, um, oh, you're a pussy, show us what you got and all that sort of stuff. Um, apologies for language there. No, no demon invoking. No, no. We, we would want to hear their story. Is there something nice we could do for them? Is there something we could bring them? Can we sing you a song? <laughs> we we would try to be as respectful as possible. But the amount of EVPs and the 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 things they get at these locations. Of course, all the ghost hunting TV shows are gone there. We would have gone there when we were going to speak at the West Virginian Women Women's Paranormal Conference. We oh, would have gone. Poop. It was not far away. I know. Next year. Anyway. <sighs> so look. I'm going to wrap it up because we've already gone over time. There is enough cause there for the place to be haunted. Mm. Uh, Thousands of people lived and worked and died. Uh, There would be residual stuff left behind. There would be intelligent residual. Um, There was so many violent acts that were committed there. There were patients wounded, killed, committed suicide. Definitely a lot of misery Mm. to lay down something for a haunting. There's also a story that the dead may have been put into mass graves, which would not make them happy. Now, we have the stone tape theory with the whole uh, construction of the building that is prime for recording events that have happened will play back under certain circumstances. But we also have ghost hunters and people going in there, laying down these stories, which then actually create the thought forms, which then create the hauntings. Mm-hmm. A lot of the play, a lot of it is personal experiences, mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, and there was one thing that I read on the skeptics page that said it's. Because a place is abandoned, run down, dark, dusty, uh, we immediately assume it's haunted. Mm-hmm. No matter what it is, mm-hmm. like we've done this, we mm-hmm. drive along the side of the road, seen abandoned houses in, in Australia, mm-hmm. Ireland, England. Gone, oh, I bet there's ghosts in there mm-hmm. because it looks run down and abandoned. Mm-hmm. You think that's where they hang out. So is it because of that that we assume this place is haunted or are these spirits truly still in this location? What are your thoughts, Renata? Mm, Not every place that is abandoned and um, left to decay is haunted. That's my 100% thought about that. What about Trans-Allegheny? As you said, there is a lot there that would make us assume that it is haunted. We can only go on the stuff that people have said that they've experienced in there um, and treat it as the gospel truth. 
Maybe some of them have had their own personal experiences that were real for them, but can't be classified as a true haunting. Um, who who can say what is and what isn't? I would expect it to have a lot of residual energy there, uh, residual stuff happening. Uh, I, as I said to you before, I never thought I would want to go there in a million years. After spending a week in it, literally, I want to go. Yeah, me too. But just as a final little note, let me tell you about Lily. Now, uh, there is someone uh, called Eric Olson who said that Lily's life story is ambiguous at best. She came to life, so to speak, on a 2010 episode of Ghost Stories where a self-proclaimed psychic Uh discovered the alleged child. Uh, yet so-called psychics are often characterised by fantasy proneness. Soon others were encountering Lily or, um, and, you know, is this the power of suggestion? Have they created Lily? Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, this is how many times have we seen in our True Hauntings mm-hmm, episodes mm-hmm. where the ghost has been created by one person yes. saying, yeah, yeah, Billy is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not prior to that. Now, that's a devil's advocate thing because if if they weren't searching for that in the first place, would they have found it? Yes. Um, and their oh, ears are now trained to listen to spirit boxes yeah, for that word. It's no. so terrible. I reckon it's haunted. I reckon we need to go. Where? I think we're going to go there in 2024. I'm just going to put it out there. Let's make it happen. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to make so much money because you guys need to become our Patreons on uh, Anne and Renata, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We'll put the link in the notes below. Let's help us get there in 2024. And we may even be able to take some listeners with us um, who are in the area. Uh, mm. we, we might do a draw. We'll see what happens. But let's make this happen. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The True Hauntings. We will be back next week with another episode. Episode. In the meantime, stay spooky, see you on the dark side, and be frightfully good. Oh, we're getting good at that. Bye! Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.